0: I ask you, how do you make the transition from communion to sex? Which is the issue this morning. It's, it's, it's. God calls on us to do a lot of different things, and as I said before, when we get into the Word of God, you can't pick and choose. You have to. You have. You start the Book of Corinthians, you preach the whole thing through, and that's kind of where we're at now this morning. I I wanted to say something as well, as far as in your prayers, as you remember. Remember Mitzi Badger's family, so they continue to mourn, and Gabe Bond, he's lost his dad. And also, to to pray for uh, Rita Knight, that's having some struggles, and a lady named Jackie Hewlett that used to live here. I think sometimes, as, as uh, believers, we we get caught up in that trap of the world, and we think about negative things, and we focus on that maybe more than the positive, which is wrong. But I think it's it, it's it's imperative that we celebrate our victories as well. And I know many of you have prayed for my sister Barbara, and uh, she is cancer-free now, and she's eating like a pig, so that's a good thing. She's so I appreciate your prayers. I really do. She's up around 100 pounds now, and uh, she, uh, things are well. The surgery went well, and uh, same with Diana Frank's brother, Eddie. He's, he's, he's doing well, and uh, some of the other things that's happened to people we've prayed for. I, I I appreciate your prayers immensely. I, I thank you. I thank you for those. this message this morning is caught in the undertow. Can you think of any other three-letter word as powerful as this three-letter word, "sex"? It, it grabs our attention immediately, and when we hear it, our ears perk up. And is there any eavesdroppers in here? You sitting at a table at a restaurant or something, you you know what's going on at the table next to you. Joe Mantel is infamous for doing this. But anyhow, um, we think about that. We were up at Champagne for Barbara's surgery, and we were sitting and we was eating, uh, Diane and I, my niece and nephew, and uh, there was a guy sitting two tables over, and after it was over, he all called my nephew and wanted to go over the conversation that we were having. So it, ha- it, it Actually, he was talking about the state of the world and where Christ fits in, so really it was a, a sense of witness. But, but boy, this word, uh, it's probably the most powerful word in our vernacular, and it shouldn't be. God, God should be the most powerful three-letter word, but uh, sometimes it's not. Sex can be as destructive as it is sweet and enjoyable if done under the guidance of Scripture, God, in marriage. So we, we go back into First Corinthians And this was the root of the problem that Paul was having with this church as far as losing its testimony in the community. Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 5, 1 through 13, I can hardly believe the report about the sexual immorality going on among you, something so evil that even the pagans don't do it. I'm not real smart when it comes to phones and texting But is it true that if you text every word or every letter in a capital, that means you're shouting? Does it mean that? That's kind of what I thought. That's why I have to be careful because I don't want to shout at anybody. If Paul was texting this message, I do believe that especially that that first verse would all be in capital letters. I am told that you have a man in your church who is living in sin with his father's wife, and you are so proud of yourselves, exclamation mark. Why aren't you mourning in sorrow and shame? And why haven't you removed this man from your fellowship? Even though I'm not there with you in person, I am with you in the Spirit. Concerning the one who has done this, I have already passed judgment. In the name of the Lord Jesus, you are to call a meeting of the church. And I will be there in spirit, and the power of the Lord Jesus will be with you as you meet. Then you must cast this man out of the church and into Satan's hands, so that his sinful nature will be destroyed, and he himself will be saved when the Lord returns. How terrible that you should boast about your spirituality, and yet you let this sort of thing go on. Don't you realize that if even one person is allowed to go on sinning, soon all will be effective. Remove this wicked person from among you so that you can stay pure. Christ, our Passover lamb, has been sacrificed for us. So let us celebrate the festival not by eating the old bread of wickedness and evil, but by eating the new bread of purity and truth. When I wrote to you before, I told you not to associate with people who indulge in sexual sin, but I wasn't talking about unbelievers who indulge in sexual sin or who are greedy or swindlers or idol worshippers. You would have to leave this world to avoid people like that. What I meant was that you are not to associate with anyone who claims to be a Christian, yet indulges in sexual sin or in greedy or is greedy or worships idols or is abusive or a drunkard or a swindler, don't even eat with such people. It isn't my responsibility to judge outsiders, but it certainly is your job to judge those inside the church who are sinning in these ways. God will judge those on the outside, but as the Scriptures say, you must remove the evil person from among you. So Paul had been delivered this report that there was sexual immorality going on within the context of the church at Corinth, a church that he had planted and spent 18 months in and imparted his life into these people to put them as a beacon of light in a dark world. And so here he's getting getting these reports. And he prefaced his pronouncement of knowledge on this situation by saying that the problem was so evil that even the pagans don't do it. And that is quite an indictment on these believers living in this pagan society. Most of the believers knew about the relationship, but there wasn't, they wasn't doing anything about it. So Paul, as the Scripture does, brings us front and center and gets in our face, and he approaches this point blank when he says, "'A man in your church is living in sin with his father's wife.'" So, this man was having an affair, a sinful act deserving discipline, but his activity outside of marriage had taken place with his father's wife, probably a stepmom, doesn't say, or whether he seduced this woman or vice versa, I don't don't know. But anyway, it had happened. I thought this was interesting. In any case, even the pagans would have shuddered. But the church membership was ignoring the situation. And he, even the pagans, even in this society in which we live, and we've painted this picture of Corinth, that there were uh, temples and with temple prostitutes that any time, day or night, you could have, go in and have sex with a man or woman, doesn't matter. So that was, that was the environment. And Paul says, even the pagans thought this was absurd, actually. Leviticus 18, 8 and Leviticus 20, 10 through 12. strong strong language this can't be interpreted any other way do not have sexual intercourse with any of your father's wives for this would violate your father then in verse 12 of chapter 10 or no 10 through 12 in chapter 20 of Leviticus if a man commits adultery with another man's wife both the man and the woman must be put to death no rationalization no gray area black and white if a man has intercourse with his father's wife both the man and the woman must die for they are guilty of capital offense, if a man has intercourse with his daughters in law and daughters in law, both may, both must be put to death. They have acted contrary to nature and are guilty of a capital offense it 's very strong language, very strong consequences, even the Romans had laws against it, according to Cicero, who was a Roman politician and an intellectual it 's amazing to me that the Romans and Greeks were notorious for immorality yet. They thought this act was forbidden. The church in Corinth, if you remember, we've talked about this. They, they, were, they were full of wisdom and philosophy. They, they thought they were above everybody else, that they were smarter than everybody else, but they had ignored moral, the moral implications of the gospel. And the price of their intellectual ability, did, it, it was tragic because they didn't prevent this moral breakdown that had happened. And the Christians were powerless there. But on the other hand, the wisdom of God, the power of the cross, was there with and, and could, could heal them and change them, but they, they, were, they were ignoring that. Now, the whole point was that not simply a breakdown of life of one individual, but the influence that this was having on the church and on that community as well. They had been put there to be a shining example, and that's really not what was happening I think the tough part sometimes as a speaker and people that teach the Bible, it's application. How does this apply to us? Thus, the question, is there immorality? Is there sexual sin within the context of Crossroads Church of God within the membership? That's the question, and you know that because God right now is… is, 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 is telling you that he, he lets you sense that, and it's not something that, that you broadcast or whatever, but we know that it's there because sex has become such a part of who we are and as our culture because it is everywhere you look, everything that you read. Sexual connotations are, are, are just, our culture is saturated actually with them. At a young age, we as humans, are curious and it's it 's why we play doctor and I do believe that if we 're all brutally honest this morning, we can go back to the point where we lost that innocence. I think that 's the tragedy of children that are molested; they lose their innocence at way too young an age, and it scars them for life, but nonetheless, it's part of who we are. I've tried to break this down to maybe where we, we understand it. I think sexual sins like the undertow in the ocean. Here's a clip that helps us understand how that under the surface and can drag you out to sea. Let's watch.
1: You might have heard them referred to as undertow or riptides but these ocean phenomena are actually rip currents. Rip currents are narrow currents in the surf zone that move quickly away from shore. A typical rip current ranges from 50 to 100 feet wide and can extend 100 yards or more offshore. It can reach speeds of over five miles per hour. That's faster than an Olympic swimmer. That makes them dangerous and potentially deadly. And scientists want to learn more about them so we can better forecast when and where they will form and keep beachgoers safe. Here's what we know. Waves don't have to be huge for a rip current to form. Two or three feet are all it takes. And the weather doesn't have to be bad for a rip current to emerge. They often occur in the nice days after a storm. They're usually strongest near low tide but can form at any time. Rip currents often form where sandbars are near the shore. They occur at breaks or channels in the bar. They're often difficult to see, but you can spot them in areas where waves aren't breaking, or where there's foam, seaweed, or discolored water being pulled offshore. It's easier to see a rip current from higher up, such as from the beach access over dunes or a lifeguards tower. Rip currents are a hazard for beachgoers, but by knowing the dangers and what to look for, you can avoid being caught in the grip of the rip.
0: This, this picture here on that very beach, it looks calm now, but the day that Dennis, and I, Miles, and I were out about waist deep, it, it, there was pretty good-sized waves, and uh, I had a pair of prescription glasses on and a cub hat. Uh, I have cost my wife and I a lot of money wearing prescription glasses into the ocean. You'd think you'd learn after a while, but I'm an idiot, and I just keep doing it. But nonetheless, here we stood Talking. Here comes a wave and knocks us down. and That's the only time I got, I've been had anything like that happen. I was on the, <laughs> the bottom scraping trying to stop, and I'll guarantee you, you're not stopping. Out you go, and out we went. Dennis was behind me, and it was just a, a scary time. But I will tell you this. When you have a near-death experience, it increases your prayer life 100%. I wouldn't, I wouldn't uh, suggest that for anybody, but it really does. Cause it, it, but it happened so fast, and it, 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 we weren't expecting it. And I lost those glasses and that cub hat, and I'm sure that a few days after that, Castro was wearing that cub hat on the streets of Havana. But I don't know, but it was gone. <laughs> it, it's like this with this issue that we're talking about this morning. It's a moral undertow, and it, it happens, and it comes on you so quick and unexpected, and it talks about the the hidden undertow kills more people than big waves, actually. Unprepared swimmers are the weak, and they're not ready, and it comes over us, and we're gone. And Paul was concerned about this at Corinth as Pastor, I'm concerned about it here, and as other pastors and other church leaders are as well, because it's not on the surface. It's underneath. It's in here, and in here, and no one sees it but God. But nonetheless, and you and I can be infamous actors and fool each other, actually, but you can't fool God. And that's the point. The watching world, I don't know outside if they're concerned about some of the theological discussions or even arguments or debates that we have. It's not a big issue to them what we believe. But the fact is, when we go out into the world and we declare that we are uh, children of God, that we are followers of Jesus Christ, and our lives don't back that up, therein lies the problem because they have like hypocrisy radar that they can pick up on that pretty quick and say... Well, I, thought that, I thought that person was, was, was a believer. And so that, that was what was happening here at Corinth. The world was aware, and that was part of the problem. A proper response to sin in the church includes grief, prayer, tears for the one that has fallen into this, and some action behind it. Those who refuse to recognize sin are not practicing love. That's... Really, what it amounts to. And until we can grieve and repent for sin, both our own and those of people that hide in plain sight in the church, we will not be the place where God can direct our actions in the world. You think about this whole concept of this undertow a current below the surface and moving in a different direction from any surface current. The service of the church, moving towards Christ, spreading the gospel in the world. You've got this undercurrent within the context maybe of the members or peop- that, that's not going, it's coming back this way instead of going out the way that it should. That's the problem. Another definition is an implicit quality, emotion, or influence underlying the superficial aspects of something and leaving a particular impression. Usually sexual sins are hidden in the church. But when the entire community knows it, it brings open opens up a whole other world, so to speak. So we come down to this in the rest of this message. What makes sexual sin such a big deal? We have to answer that. And again, I go back to the Word of God, it's not what Eddie says. God is just using me as a vessel this morning to speak his word. It's what he says. And you and I have to make a choice in our life. Are we gonna are we gonna go by what the word of God says, or are we gonna go what culture says or even our old old nature says? You and I both have to decide that, and then we have to live with the consequences. Here's what makes sexual sin such a big deal. Modern culture has tried to redefine sexuality as a personal right to be exercised any way an individual wishes. This is my body. It's my right. I will do with it what I want, and how dare you say any word against it. That comes straight from the pits of hell is where that comes from. But that is the cry in this world. It's not what God says. It's what culture has dictated, and and it's, it's starting to permeate The society, how dare you say that? You you know, I can get into absurdity here. Because if you take that far enough, I could say, you know what? I like this big old St. Bernard, and we're going to march right over the clerk's office, we're going to get married. Absurd? I don't think so. That's that's what people are saying. Even as bizarre as that sounds sexual behavior is considered a personal choice, almost like the decision whether to buy a house or rent a condo or what car you're going to buy, actually. And at the same time, popular opinion has all but removed the word sin from our culture's vocabulary. You don't say it, you don't speak it. It's gone. The only sexual expression considered wrong is what is deemed distasteful to the definer. And however, Social acceptability varies so greatly that even the vilest of acts would be considered justified by many. So, before we can say, determine why sexual sin is such a big deal, we have to define sexual sin. But here's the fortunately, man has not been given the privilege of defining sin. We don't get to say, it's not on us. It's not on us what we get to say, what's right and wrong. It's what God says. He is the one that created it, and he is the one that defines it. He defined that, and he set the boundaries and that the Bible is clear about guidelines. when God created the first man, Adam, and brought him the first woman Eve, he joined them together in marriage, and what did he say? He pronounced it very good, Genesis one thirty one to eighteen and verse twenty four At the same time, God introduced sexuality. And set the boundaries for its expression. God created a union between a husband and a wife that he called becoming one flesh. Genesis 2, 24. Matthew 19, 6. Mark 10, 8. Ephesians 5, 31. He then defined any sexual activity outside the husband and wife relationship as a violation of his gift. Thus, we have the word fornication. means sex outside of marriage homosexuality, pornography, and lust are all violations of God's intent when He created the sexual act. 1 Corinthians 6, 9, verse 18, Galatians 5, 19, and 20, Jude 1, 7, Matthew 5, 28, and Hebrews 13, 4. One flesh. I realize we live in a world that a lot of times marriages don't work out for so many different reasons. But here's the problem. After that marriage is consummated and they become one flesh, when that's ripped apart, there's pain, always some kind of pain. I I would debate you on that on some issues, but I do believe that when you have consummated that with another human being, that it can never be separated without some issues of pain involved in there. So why is the violation of those boundaries such a big deal? First clues in Genesis 2.24 with the words, one flesh. It's just what I said. There's a great unifying power within the sexual union. God designed it to involve not only bodies but our hearts and our lives. It was designed to consummate the life line between a man and a woman. Jesus said, what God has joined together, let no one separate, Matthew 19.6 and Mark 10.9. He designed us different so we could come together in intimacy and join our hearts together for life. They are no longer two but one flesh, Mark 8 or 10, 8. This act of becoming one creates a new entity, a family. You want to trace the roots back to family. It goes clear back to that. This powerful force also brings forth new life, Genesis four twenty five. The human race can only pro- be propagated by the coming together of a man and a woman. And within marriage, God blesses it. Genesis 1, 28, and Psalm 73. It is a gift that a husband and wife make their relationship unique among all other relationships. I got my own thoughts on this, but like I said, my thoughts really don't mean that much. But I do believe this. In all of the relationships of life... In this one act, one human soul can touch another human soul. That's the only place I do believe that that happens, that that is a sacred time. And how dare us take that and tromp on it and make it something less sacred in which we have in this world. I'm old-fashioned in that sense. You can call me that. But when I went to college in Freeport, I didn't go to college until I was 40, so I was in a class with all these kids we would go to the, the union where they had coffee, and I would sit, and we would discuss these issues. They were pretty open about it. I was sitting with a young couple one day, and we was talking about this very thing. He said, oh, man, he said, you're old. <laughs> man, I wish I was 40 again. I'd give anything. I'd give a finger to be 40 again, but nonetheless, <laughs> I'm not. He said, you're old-fashioned. You've got to get on with that. So us us this age, sex is, is no big deal. You can just have it with whoever you want, and there's no repercussions, well, I tried to <laughs> tell him that he was wrong, but I, I came up with, I'm always coming up with faulty reasoning, in a sense, or analogies, but it was the closest I could come up with. He was with this girl. Uh, they were dating or being together, call it what you will, but I said, let me, let me ask you something. I said, you, you love this girl at this time. I said, sounds like you love a lot of different people, but right now you love her. So you're walking down Stevenson Street in downtown Freeport, Illinois, and you meet five guys that slept with your woman, and that wouldn't bother you. No, it wouldn't bother. I said, brother, I, so I, think, I think, I think there's something wrong with you. It sure bother me because they've taken something that was mine. That's how I see that. That, That's how I see when we give ourselves away, that we're given pieces of ourselves away, that you'll never get back, and you're going to be married to somebody that's got different people's got pieces of what was yours. That's my soapbox. That's my issue. And it's true. You can deny that. You can deny it till the cows come home, but you'll never change my mind on that. When you have sex with somebody, you are giving yourself a piece of yourself away that God ordained for only your spouse. That's it. I, I do. I'll, I'll always believe that. That's the tragedy behind that to me. How many people stand at the altar and they're given away? There's not, there's not hardly anything left. They have give it to other people. That, that's, that's how far we've got away from God's design. And it, it, it's, a heart, it's a heartbreaker for me. You realize that we live in a world that has tons of great stuff. Man has outdone himself, so to speak, on a lot of different issues. Everything that God has allowed us to do that's good, Satan has found a way to pervert it. And sex is a great example of that. He began his insidious defilement in the Garden of Eden with these words Has God said that? with a question mark. Genesis 3 1. And that challenge to the authority of God continues still. When we use sexuality wrongly, we cheapen the beauty of his powerful gift and defy the one who designed it. We also reap the consequences of our sin. Our sexual disobedience has produced a world staggering under the weight of disease. There are so many STDs, I can't name them all. You get some of them for life. It's just not a one-time deal. When my urologist retired, I started going to a nurse practitioner, and she was a believer, and we would have these discussions. And she said, Pastor... You can't believe how many church kids come in here with STDs. They don't broadcast that, but their parents bring them in and they have to deal with that. that that's, just, that's just one abortion, perversion, child molestation, addiction, and sexual exploitation of God. Or exploitation that God has created boundaries for our good so we can enjoy His gift and design to be enjoyed and not to be a destructive power in our world. Electricity is powerful and helpful if used correctly, but boy, if you get a hold of it, it can be deadly in the wrong way. The same is true of sexuality. Sexuality, misuse sex, is also deadly because it produces these problems as well. Abortion, poverty, rape, adultery, divorce, pornography, and children growing up without fathers. Sexual sin begins with temptation, as all does. And when we refuse to acknowledge God's boundaries and allow lust to dictate our choices, it never, ever leads in the right direction. James 1, 13 through 15 says, Let no one say when he is tempted, I am being tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted by evil, and he himself does not tempt anyone. But each one is tempted when he is carried away and enticed by his own lust." Then when lust has conceived, it gives birth to sin, and when sin is accomplished, it brings forth death. Another reason sexual sin is such a big deal, it destroys the picture of God's unbreakable covenant with his people. The Bible uses marriage as a metaphor to describe Christ's relationship with his church, as it, which is the bride of Christ. Revelation 19, 7, 2 Corinthians eleven two. Even in the Old Testament, God used the, the idea of His nation, Israel, of, of whoring after other nations. He, they used that metaphor as well, that it, what a grave sin that it is. Romans 13, 13 through 15 outlines the life that God desires you and I to live. Can you imagine if this was rampant in our culture? Let us behave decently as in the daytime, not in carousing and drunkenness, not in sexual immorality and debauchery, not in dissension and jealousy. Rather, close yourself with the Lord Jesus Christ and do not think about how to gratify the desires of the flesh. And sexual sin is the one way that we gratify the desires of our flesh. Jesus said the pure in heart will see God, Matthew 5, 8. Unrepentant sin defiles our heart and Keeps us out of God's will and keeps us from that sanctification process as we get closer to Christ. You cannot be pure in heart and be engaged in sexual sin. That's pretty much the bottom line. And it is like <laughs> it is like a riptide that it, it comes over you and got a hold of you for you, you know knowing you, you're moving out and you're clawing trying to stop and you've created these consequences that, that won't let you. And so We have to deal with that. I know at church when we have an altar, we are terrible sometimes for the fact that when people come up, we're trying to figure out what they're doing up there instead of praying for them, and that is wrong. So when you have a topic like this, (laughs) I doubt a lot of you are not going to come up this altar. It's because of the issue that's on the table, so to speak. So as your pastor and as your friend and as your brother, if this has described you this morning, if it's a struggle that you're having internally, please text me that at least I can pray for you, or come see me, or give me a call, or whatever. Do not continue down this path, because I know the destruction that it can cause, and maybe not in the next few days or weeks or years, but it has long-term effects so that's my prayer for you this morning, the people that I love. Lord, I love these guys, and I know that this is an issue that we all deal with, whether we admit it or not. Just being human, it comes to the territory. So we have to decide within the context of our own lives and in our spiritual lives what we'll do with that. Hopefully, God, we seek your guidance and direction, and Allow those boundaries to be set in our lives that we don't cause ourselves some major grief. Sometimes we don't listen. We knock down the walls. We knock down the boundaries because we want to live like we want to live and then we have to deal with whatever issues that we've created. So right now, Father, I just pray for each one of us, actually. I pray, Holy Spirit, that whatever you've said to our hearts this morning, that we pay heed. If there's something we need to confess, something we need to do that that we might do that I know you love us Lord and we live in your grace and you take a tremendous amount of patience with us but there are things that we do Lord that have long term effects on us and I do believe that this issue is one of them lives can be destroyed and can't be repaired sometimes so right now Father I just pray that we're just upfront and honest with you And I pray for all the young people here, Lord, that are single. They're in this time of their life that they would use your guidance and direction as they seek a companion that they want to spend forever with. We love you give you praise and glory for who you are. And Thanks for loving us. We ask these things in the name of Christ. Amen.